Oh, I love to sing with God's people. How amazing that a God that powerful who created everything, he comes to us. Every other religion in the world but the Christian faith is about what we do to go to God. Christianity at its core is what God has done to come to us. He's, he's come to us in our helpless condition. Uh, just, just a joy to sing with you all. I just love this. And thank you, worship team, for bringing your talents before the Lord. Well, if you'd open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're continuing this wonderful journey through this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to the churches scattered in the ancient world, giving them advice. I, I've been amazed how often it's stunningly obvious that God wrote the Bible because of how timeless it is. It applies to our lives. We're reading a letter written over 2,000 years ago to people very different than we are in so many ways, but, but it, it couldn't be more relevant and applicable to our lives. This morning, we have a passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, that's about leadership. Leadership is a very important thing in, in families and in society in general, in governments, uh, in business. There's a reason that when a CEO leaves, typically the, the, the value, the stock value of that company plummets for a time until they see who the new leader will be. I know there are people in this church and, and the biggest concern they have is who's going to take over leading the Lakers and whether Walton's going to be a good replacement and, and, uh, it, 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 and who, who would take Nick Saban's place someday at Alabama. That's heavy on people's minds because they realize how important leadership is. Yeah, leadership really matters. One of my favorite movies of all time is Remember the Titans. Who's seen Remember the Titans? Oh, Wow. Who hasn't? Don't raise your hand. You'll be embarrassed, apparently. Uh, yes, I thought I was the only one who saw it. No, it's a good movie. I, it's it's a, a movie during the civil rights movement about uh, high school that it gets integrated, and uh, a bunch of kids from a uh, predominantly black school came and integrated with, with the white kids, and so now two different football teams, black and white, had to come together as one football team. And the story really revolves around the two main leaders among the kids. It, well, it's the coach too, but, but so the coach has got to be a good leader to, to fight through all these difficulties, but the two, two kids are leaders too. There's a, Julius is clearly the leader among the African-American players, and Gary's the obvious leader among the, the white players, and really the key scene in the movie, there are lots of key scenes, but the key scene in the movie is when Julius and Gary are finally butting heads and arguing with each other. The coach actually required that they get to know each other, and they avoided it, and finally they had to do it, and so, so they start this argument, and at one point in the argument, um, Gary says this team's attitude stinks. And Julius says, attitude is a reflection of leadership. Boom! It's just, and you could tell this, this kid is caught up short, and, and he's saying, oh, I need to take responsibility. If the attitude on the team stinks, it's my fault. I need to bear the weight of the responsibility for that. Leadership really matters, it does matters deeply. And so this morning we have a passage that teaches us about leadership in the church, about what it means to be leaders, what it means to be followers of leaders in the church. 
Tremendously important insights for us from Peter. So let's go to the word, 1 Peter 5, beginning of verse 1. Let's read together. The Lord helps us. Spirit works. 1 Peter 5, 1. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we have a word here from the Apostle Peter, and it's a word we must heed. It's from God ultimately, and Peter is earnest in there. The word exhort is very important here. It's, it's, he's appealing to us, he's exhorting us. You, you imagine him coming alongside and, and, and getting right in our face and saying, you need to listen to this. This is really important, and it's addressed primarily to the leaders of the churches to whom he's writing. And he wants them to listen well. It's also a word to the flock as well as the shepherds, but it's a word we need to hear. It's an exhortation. It's a listen well. Pay attention to this. I am, I'm appealing to you to realize what I'm saying here. It's very important. Well, here's the outline of my sermon. I asked one of my mothers in the faith here at Grace, Ruth Dix, for advice on my sermon after last service, and she said, Eric, your transitions were very unclear. (laughs) So, there you go. (laughs) There... There's the outline. Andre Stevens has described my preaching as a tossed salad. But, uh, but there you go. There, there's, there's some courses there for you. That, it, it's sort of like a journalist, right? Uh, why? Why are we doing the things in this passage? Well, because of fiery trials. What is it we are? We're shepherds and sheep, and we're all sheep, including the shepherds. How? How do we do this? How do we lead God's people willingly, eagerly, humbly, and with joy? And finally, for what? Why are we doing this? What's the purpose? Well, we're doing it for eternal rewards, literally an unfading crown of glory, Uh, an eternal reward that will never go away. And so so there it is. There's your outline. Uh, Ruth would be happy uh, that I went and did that. But there you go. Um, That's where we're heading. And the first thing I want us to notice is the why. And 
it all rests in our passage, the why, in the first word that unfortunately, if you're reading out of an NIV, isn't there. But uh, if, if you're reading other versions, including ESV that I'm reading from, it's there. It's, it's this word, so, or therefore, or because of, or in light of, that so, so what? Well, in light of what's just been said. The last verse, before our passage starts, verse 19, for instance, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to faith, the faithful creator while doing good. So that needs to frame everything. Uh, what's the so? The so is, well, in light of the suffering that is yours as God's people and in particular as leaders, you need to live this way as God's people and as leaders. And it, our verse 19 says, therefore, so we need to back up still and go all the way to 12. That is the, really the beginning of this main section of which our passage is a part this morning. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So the reason we have this teaching this morning is because of suffering because of persecution, because of suffering directly related to being Christians, to being the people of God, in particular, being leaders of those people. He's saying, we've got to have each other's back here because there are a lot of enemies that would tear at us. See, this is trying to create a people that when the heat is turned up, the, the suffering comes, the persecution comes, the trials mount that will endure. And so leaders need to lead in a way that is edifying and builds up the people of God. Th those following the leaders need to lead in a way that's encouraging and supportive because if we're tearing at each other, how in the world are we gonna deal with those persecuting us, seeking to tear at us? Persecution, trial, suffering is the context here. I was this close to staging my abduction this morning mid-sermon. <laughs> I was, to illustrate the point, this close, but I was fearful that our emergency response team would <laughs> kill the people abducting me. I, I, I did. I was going to have somebody burst through those doors, two guys. And, and stage an abduction because uh, I was going to have them put a, a hood over my head and they were going to whack me and drag me out of here. I was going to preface it with what you're about to see is not real so you didn't lose your minds. But I, I, that's, I want us to be struck by the context here. Peter is writing a letter to people knowing and, and experiencing. He's, he's leading the church with James. And James is murdered. He's leading the church with Stephen, and Stephen is stoned to death. This is not a passage about tidy church management. It's not to, to spawn a leadership effectiveness book. This is a passage getting God's people ready for serious suffering. He's saying, get your house in order. Judgment begins in the household of faith. That's what he says right before. You need to get ready. And who's going to get knocked out first? Just like we see in the Bible, the leaders. 
You want to take out an army, you go after the general. You want to take out a church, you go after the leaders. That's what you do. And so he's saying, you want to lead the church? You know the guns will be aimed at you more than anybody else. You ready for that? People of God, you know as you follow leaders that, that you're maybe following them to their deaths and maybe yours. See, this is about fiery trials. This is not about management skills. This is as serious as it can get. And, and so why? Because we have fiery trials. That's what the context of this passage is. And so then, therefore, what? What are we to be? We're to be shepherds and sheep. Please realize that as you are called as part of the flock to be submissive to leadership, that there should be no one in the church more submissive than the leaders. That doesn't mean they don't lead. It doesn't mean they're not strong, but there is a desire for the good of the flock to the point where they will lose sleep where they will expend, I can't tell you what it's been like to, it's just incredible to be part of a church where the leaders I've been able to serve with have, have stunned me at times with their self-sacrificial generosity. Of their time and their money and their sleep and their efforts and their emotion and time with their kids. And it really has been amazingly humbling and convicting to serve with leaders who've set a pace so often that I wonder if I can keep up. It really is an amazing thing to, to serve with people who get it. And I can't tell you what it's been. How one, I'm going to tell you. I, I guess I can. I'm going to try to tell you how amazing it's been to be a leader of a flock that loves and, and submits and, and is on board and isn't constantly fighting where we're trying to lead. It's been amazing. It's been wonderful. And, and I can't thank you enough for that. And so we're called to be... Shepherds, and it's important to realize here that the words here used overseer and shepherd. You know, the word that we would say could be translated pastors, really just the word shepherd. To be a shepherd is to be a pastor, to be an overseer. They're really used interchangeably in the New Testament. And a lot of the cat, first time I studied this, I was surprised at how little basis in the New Testament there are for all the categories we tend to have in church leadership, like senior pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor, you know, uh, director of the, and all these titles that we put so much importance on that just really aren't in the New Testament. There are the shepherds of God's people who are sheep too, or are sheep too, and the sheep, and, and we all should aspire to the qualities of those Christian leaders because they're setting an example. So this is for leaders, yes, but it's for all of us at the same time. And so, so what are we? We're sheep. Some of the, some of the sheep are shepherds. And, and Peter calls himself a fellow elder, the apostle Peter. Here, Peter, keys of the kingdom, Jesus says. The apostle Peter says, I'm in there with you. I'm shoulder to shoulder with you. That's what he says. Is that amazing how he describes himself? Now he starts off claiming his apostle, apostolic authority in the beginning. But, but here he says, look, I'm a fellow elder. I'm, I'm one of you. As, uh, I'm right there in it with you. I'm a, I'm a fellow elder. I'm, I'm a co-elder with you. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's be to, to be revealed. Think about who's writing this letter. It, it's the apostle Peter. 
And he says, I'm right there in it with you. In what I've witnessed, the sufferings of Christ, the glory of Christ, and what I'm waiting for, endurance in that suffering and that glory to ultimately be revealed. Think about Peter humbling himself in that way, but it, it really needs to be traced back. Do you find it amazing that Peter here is referring to the cross of Christ is what he witnessed. He watched Jesus beaten in the middle of the night. But do you remember what he did? He didn't endure, actually, the way this passage is exhorting us to. What did he do? He, he denied Jesus. It was probably the most bitter, shameful failure of his life. But he so believes in God's transforming work in the gospel that he's able to say, I'm right there in it with you. And he, he's able to lead now, even though he had miserable failure in his past. It's like Paul saying, I just realized yesterday with the help of a brother who helped me with this, I, I realized how amazing it is that Paul, the murderer of Christians before he became a Christian, is able to say to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Well, he had a fresh start in Christ and, and the old is gone, the new really is come. And so not only is he able to stand with no blood guilt because of his faithfulness, we are too. And he, he calls us to lives of endurance in this. So we're all sheep, Peter's a fellow elder with us and we're all the flock of God. That image of sheep is not the most flattering. I think we overdo the stupidity of sheep. The Bible really doesn't highlight sheep are disgusting, stupid animals. It, but it, what it does mean by that is we're needy. We're dependent. We really need protection and direction. None of us is a self-made man or autonomous or powerful in ourselves at all. No, we desperately need a shepherd to care for us, to protect us, to meet our needs. We desperately need that. And that's a hard pill to swallow for proud people, isn't it? The sheep imagery. I, I was a commercial diver for a while, actually about seven years. And on and off, worked for my dad, was one of the owners of a commercial diving company. And I don't know if you know anything about commercial divers, but they're a surly lot. They're, they're, you know, I put them up against any other vocation for guys who think they're tough and, and are in some ways. And uh, I started working with these guys when I was 16 and we would go away for weeks at a time on the eastern seaboard and stay in nasty motels in New Jersey and, and, um, and just, it was rough, it was rough, it was challenging. Well, probably the toughest guy I ever worked with, um, we'll, we'll call him Mac. It's a tough name, right? Um, I want to use his name. I got to be careful of that. So um, he may be listening to podcasts of our services. Um, but I worked with him. He was about 6'4", 245, no, just pure muscle. He was a lumberjack before he became a commercial diver. He didn't like people very much. He would just take chainsaws and gas up into the woods and cut trees for a few days and then come back when he was a lumberjack. And he didn't, he didn't like it. And I... One summer, was trying to save per diem with the rest of the guys, so we stayed in a campground in Holtwood, Pennsylvania, and I shared a tent with this guy. And I wanted to tell him about Jesus. I was a Christian. I wanted to tell him about Jesus. And I will never forget the first time I tried to do that. I started to say, hey, and he cut me off. I didn't even get through the second sentence. And he said, kid, 
I don't want to hear about any of your blankety blank Christian blank. And he didn't say blankety. <laughs> I was stunned and he pointed at me and he said, I don't want to hear about any of your Christian nonsense because I ain't no sheep. This was a mean dude. His, his whole stomach was actually a scar because he was cheating on his wife and he came home one day. He opened the door and she stuck a shotgun in his stomach and pulled the trigger. And he grabbed it and drove himself to the hospital. He's a tough dude. So when he looked, I'm telling you, I can tell you stories, a lot of stories. When he looked at me and said, I ain't no sheep. I said, all right, all right. I really appreciate how well he understood Christian theology. I do, I really do. Uh, you think by worldly standards, it'd be pretty hard for this guy to think he's a sheep needing to be led around, needing to be provided for. It's a tough guy. But he, he got it. I, I think he really understood the prerequisite of coming to the shepherd. Realizing you're a sheep, realizing you are needy, realizing you are dependent. I don't know if you realize how needy you are this morning. Maybe you've never come to the great shepherd Jesus to care for you, but you need him to. You desperately need him to. You may have amassed certain status or the feeling of power or autonomy in this world, but it's a house of cards before God. So please realize how desperately you need the shepherd to care for you. And he is that shepherd. And he's strong. And he's tender. My son Sam, my 10-year-old son, wrote a beautiful card to his mother. My son loves his mother. He does. And he wrote this beautiful card. He, he made it and he, he went and got pictures and he said all these things, why I love mama and she's beautiful and he put some irises in there and, and then he got to, I love mama because she cares for us when we're hurting with a tender heart. And then he went online and got a picture of Jesus holding a lamb to his chest and, and put it there after that line. And then when he handed it, to his mom, he knows her so well, he also handed her a napkin <laughs> because he knew she would cry. And I love that image that he's seeing the good shepherd in his mother. He, 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 he responds with love for her and that's who God is. You need a shepherd to care for you who's strong enough to do that and who's tender enough to do it. That's who Jesus is. That's what this whole passage is really about, is, is the great shepherd. And so we're sheep. We're all the flock of God. Paul refers to the church this way in Acts 20. He says to the elders there, shepherd the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He loves his church to death. He bled to buy his church. You love the church? You like to criticize the church? Some sort of detached, uh, apparently objective, uh, uh, lack of ownership? You need to love the church. God bought it with his own blood. That's how he feels about this church. 
And Christ is the chief shepherd of this flock. We're the flock of God, and among that flock are shepherds. And all those shepherds serve under the chief shepherd, shepherd answering to him for everything. And I want you to notice how important it is that this church of which you are a part, if you're a Christian, is specific. You could say it's defined by the local church. Notice it doesn't say that just the church universal. I was talking to a guy yesterday about a friend of his who clearly needs church discipline. And I said, does he have a church? And he said, no. And I said, he needs a church. This guy's a believer, he says. And he says, oh, come on, we're all the church. I said, yes. And you need the church. Define, clear, where you can actually know who the leaders are and who the flock really is. If we have to answer to God for how we fulfill this passage, we better know the context we're called to do that in. And yes, there's a universality to the church. Only God ultimately knows who the church is, and it is spread all over the world. But to obey this passage, it takes a specificity. Look what it says in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not just vague and general and abstract, but among you, exercising oversight. And then verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. Among you, literally your lot. Your lot uh, uh, accounted to you. This is your lot. These are the ones you answer for to God. And that's what elders are called to do. And as an elder, I deeply want to know to whom I will have to answer to God for in the way I cared for them. And that's why we take membership seriously, Grace. We just talked about our membership class. I want to know who really the church is because it's not whoever breezes in and out of here on a Sunday morning as an occasional attender or all the Christians in La Mirada or all the Christians in California I'm accountable to God for. No, it's the the members of my church, those who have clearly identified themselves as the members of my church. And I'm looking at so many of you that that, that's so clear and obvious. And and you, you said, yes, this is my church. These are the elders to whom I am submitting. And the elders are saying, Lord, these are the people to whom I will answer to you for one day in the way I care for them or don't care for them. That's a a stunning thought and that's the picture we have here. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no compassion to you. And therefore, the, the elders are to have compassion and humility of a, and, and give oversight to a specific church. I, I think it's important then to just right now, if you're an elder of this church, would you stand up? If, if you're one of the elders currently of this church. Okay, just three guys over here. If you've, uh, stay up guys. If you've been an elder of this church, would you stand up? Okay, Sonny, Bob. Yes, all right, stay standing, guys, stay standing. Um, I've, I've served with these guys. We, we've gone to war together in many ways. And, and it's important to realize the elders of the church uh, so, that, so that we define this relationship and, and know who it is. If you're a deacon, would you stand up at Grace? Any deacons here? Jason, there we go. Beautiful. Uh, if you've been a deacon, would you stand up? There we go. Uh, if you're a grace group shepherd, would you stand up? 
If you've been a grace group shepherd, would you stand up? Okay. There you have it. Pray for us. Um, We need it. We're frail. We struggle. We're weak. We've got our own issues we need to deal with and and somehow help others in that. Thanks, friends. You can have a seat. Uh, So so we're leaders. And, And this passage says, don't make it hard to lead you. And I want to say how grateful I am, how little groaning there's been leading this church for the past 16 years, being one of the leaders here. There's been groaning, for sure. Depravity is still real. But I want to thank you how overwhelmingly joyful it's been to be a leader here. You know what I'd love? Would would just two or three of you elders or, or four just give us one or two sentences on why it's been a joy to lead her. I, I'm springing this on them, but come on, they're elders. They better be ready, right? So it, just give me a, stand up and give me a sentence or two on one of the reasons it's been a joy to lead this flock. Either one. Thanks, Don. Thanks. Any of the other elders want to? Yeah, Eric. Uh, it's, it's been a joy, especially recently. Uh, on Sunday? On Sunday and in Sunday school, and just to have the privilege of bringing God's word to people who receive it well. Mm. Thanks, Eric. Good. One more guy. No, Kip, you first, and then Sonny. Son, you got something about the flock? Yeah, uh, the thing that I, I really am very thankful for and love is that they get the message and as a result of the impact of the gospel are willing to go to some of the most difficult places yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah, go to some of the most difficult places in the world. Thank you, guys. I, over and over again, there have been times where, where, whether it's church discipline or dealing with sin or uh, upping our budget to, in missions or uh, wanting to have a reading service for five hours through the book of Acts, all these times where I think, oh, this is not going to go well, and over and over again, there's been this wonderful, positive, yes, let's go. 
Let's go this, occur- even when it's not necessarily something someone would have come up with. Uh, it, it's, it's a willingness to, to get on board for where we're heading. And, and so it means we take this seriously. One of our ministry values at Grace is the plurality of elders. The elders are, uh, whoop. Uh, it looks out of order. Um, Yes, we believe the New Testament teaches a plurality of elders as the model of church leadership. There's our passage this morning. Along with our commitment to the priesthood of all believers, we also recognize the need for strong, spirit-led, biblically instructed elder leadership under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then, did you switch it already? (laughs) I'm trying there we go. However, elders are not the only shepherds of grace. We want to see all those with pastoral and teaching gifts using them regularly. The leaders of our small groups function as pastors of their small flocks within our church. We believe pastor elders should function primarily as shepherds who emphasize the ministry of the word, prayer, discipleship, and the spiritual health of God's people. They're not primarily, although it may include some of these things, administrators and managers. And, and so that's why we have that ministry value, number six. And that's why we take seriously the way God calls us to be. So the next point is uh, why fiery trials, what elders and pastors, how willingly, you see in our passage, eagerly, humbly and with joy, not laziness or pride or greed. We need to go to war with pride. God opposes the proud, we're told, and gives grace to the humble. You might think, well, who would go into elder leadership for the money? Well, these guys. <laughs> this is actually a so-called reality television show, Preachers of L.A., where these guys boast about their bling. And I, I could, I've never seen it, but I could only watch about the first 20 seconds of the trailer, and I couldn't watch anymore. I had to go get a airline bag to, to respond to. I, it's, they're, they're boasting about their numerous Bentleys and their palatial homes and that after all, God wants us to prosper. It still is alive and well that we have all the wrong motives for the ministry. But it's easy to take shots at these guys. I need to step back as a leader and say, well, maybe I'm not all about getting a Bentley. I really would, don't want a Bentley. But, but what is something I would be tempted to lead for instead of an unfading crown of glory? In what ways is it not about Jesus but about me? And so to cultivate these character traits that are really the character traits all Christians should aspire to as well and the flock needs as well as the shepherds, but a willingness, an eagerness, a humility, and a joy in this following the example of Christ as we see ourselves as examples. And it's for this eternal reward, this unfading crown of glory. That's what it's for, that that the, the judge of all will come back, the chief shepherd will return, and we will answer to him for how we lived our lives. There's a linear nature to history. It's not just cyclical around and around again. It's heading somewhere and it's heading to the day of reckoning when God will look at our lives and our work and and determine whether it's been pleasing or not, in the spirit or not, done for the great shepherd or done for ourselves in the flesh. And so we've got to watch our hearts. We've got to watch our motives. And we need to do that together. So be humble. 
It is a chilling thought that God opposes the proud. I don't want Almighty God in opposition to me. And so I need to get up in the morning and go to war with pride. Or else he'll be opposed to what I do, even if it looks good to all of you. God sees the heart. And so we need to pay attention to our hearts and and seek a humility and cultivate that. I I love this image. Yes, it says, the younger among you, maybe specifically young men, but, but those younger, be subject to the elders. Follow humbly. Clothe yourselves with humility. Put humility on like it's clothing. Drape it over your shoulders because God gives grace to the humble. I want grace. And so humility is what he says to cultivate. And and realize that this image of the shepherd is this precious view of Jesus. And it's an image of the Messiah, the one who would come and bring the kingdom of God, usher it into human history, and bring the salvation and the revelation of God into our lives. And as we were singing before, that's what Jesus does. He fulfills those messianic promises to be our great shepherd who's strong enough and tender enough to care for us in the way we desperately need for him to. Listen to Isaiah 40 in this prophetic messianic passage. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. A picture of the strength of the coming judge. But listen to the tenderness in the very next verse of Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. We need a powerful and tender shepherd to care for us, to fend off the enemies that would tear us apart from God and from one another. We need a strong shepherd to overcome our sin. We need a tender shepherd to come to us and love us right where we are. And that's what we have in Jesus. If you've never gone to the great shepherd because you've never seen your desperate need for him, oh, I pray this is the morning that you turn from your your, uh, illusion of self-sufficiency to utter dependence on the shepherd. That you don't go it alone, fending for yourself in a hostile world. But you go to the one who alone can truly care for you in this dark and hostile world. You'll run to the great shepherd. And you'll run to his people and the shepherds over his church as part of that running. And if if you have gone to the great shepherd in repentance and saving faith, oh, today, run to him again more than ever. Not for the first time, not to establish the relationship with him, but to deepen it, to further it. We all come here, believers and unbelievers, basically for the same thing, to get rightly related to the great shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Oh, you, like Peter, can trust in Jesus, who sets the example of suffering with humility, who, although he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and even dying a death on a cross. That's who he is for us. And that's the one we run to, who alone can meet our needs, who alone can provide for us in the way we need. Father, help us.
We are a needy people. We are sheep who have gone astray. For anyone here this morning who has never run to the shepherd ever, I pray that this would be the morning. That they wouldn't leave here this morning without turning from their self-sufficiency to the all-sufficient Christ. Lord, for those of us who have known you or even known you a long time, I pray that in a deeper way than ever before, we would know how needy we are and run to the great shepherd. Help us, Lord, to all take the steps we need to in our relationships with you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.